0: On Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1, streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show.
1: You're listening to the Jam Price Show and today my guest is award-winning composer David Norland. Welcome to the show, David.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Oh,
1: my pleasure. I want to first start with how did you become a composer, a film composer? Also you compose for television too, but how did you get into this industry?
0: Um, well, I was always a composer, actually, from the time that I was a kid. Um, I was that kid who sort of, uh, a lot of my childhood was spent just sitting at a piano, uh, noodling away, uh, coming up with sort of abstract ideas. And uh, then, you know, always in bands, always in choirs, uh, always writing music. And then as I Uh, Moved uh, through my teenage years and picked up the electric guitar and keyboards and began experimenting with recording techniques uh, and electronic music production. And so I had this, I always had this really wide range of uh, musical areas that I had experience in to draw from. Um, And I was in bands because really all I wanted to do was spend all my time in the studio making music, and I thought the only way I knew how to do that was to be in a band. Um, But the frustrating thing about that was it also meant that I had to go out and get on stage and play with the band, which I really never enjoyed. Um, The whole... The whole reward for being a band to me was the time spent in the studios, uh, record, you know, creating and recording. Um, and then uh, the last band that I was in, uh, I, we were signed to Maverick Records in the nineties, uh, Madonna's label. And uh, during uh, that period, I got to know uh, some some great people in the record industry and in the music industry as a whole. Um, and when that period came to an end, uh, I started getting asked to do you know little bits of music to picture for uh, for commercials uh, and things like that. Uh, and from there, uh, once I'd scored a few commercials, I had a very good friend who I'd known uh, since I was at school who was directing his his first film. Uh, and it was a documentary called Anvil, The Story of Anvil, which went on to win a lot of awards. Uh, and I did the score for that. And from that point onwards, uh, you know, I realized that, you know, this was really what I wanted to do. And and fortunately since then I've been able to work consistently.
1: How wonderful that you were just able to move right into it and following your passion. Why didn't you like performing in public rather than you know, what, what was what was it about performing in public that wasn't...
0: Uh, I think it's because I'm a perfectionist okay. um, pro- probably and, and there's always that anxiety that you know, of, of play you know, hitting a wrong note or, um, or falling over a guitar cable on stage or something like that. You know, obviously I take my off way too seriously. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and, and in fact, actually, there there, there was a, there was a band that I was in uh, when I was gosh, uh, I must have been in my late teens, early twenties, uh, and it was a uh, it was a band I was in with someone who went on to become a massive, massive rock and roll star uh, in a in a later band that he was in. Uh, but this was our first band together, and we were on tour uh, in in France somewhere. And and one night, you know, and there was one period, there was one part in this song where I launched, you know, the moment where the foot goes up on the guitar monitor and i launch into the the big guitar solo and we had the monitoring was really terrible and we couldn't hear and i only realized a bit into the solo that i was playing the whole thing a semitone flat you know and those kinds of moments were exactly why i didn't Mm -hmm.
1: like playing live Mm -hmm. i can imagine for sure so how do you you know when you're composing um what's your process when you you know when you get a project given to you um how do you? Well, you've you've composed for different kinds of you've composed for documentaries and uh, you know award winning documentaries and television. Um, but is your process different for each one of those types of you know ver- you know documentary versus you know television?
0: You know. Generally speaking, there's only one key to it, as for me, consistently that binds it all together, and that's that I just have to start. I just have to start, and it becomes an experimental process to start with. Either sitting at the piano or sitting at my workstation, it may start with me, you know, just conducting some sonic experiments and seeing what happens, um, or it may start with me sitting at the piano um, and, you know, working out some some themes. That that's quite a frequent way for things to start. Um, but more than anything, I just need to start making music with the idea of that particular story in my head. And eventually, over time, you know, the music comes to sit with the story.
1: Let's talk a little bit about my uh, Dinner with Hervé, which is on HBO. Uh, what was your process for that? And how did you get involved in this particular project?
0: Uh, the director and writer of that film, Sasha Giavazi, uh, is a really old friend of mine. And I knew him when he uh, actually did did the interview with Hervé Villachez that the film is based on. Um, and I knew him at the point where he was starting to write it into some kind of, you know, narrative story. You know, I, I don't think it was clear to start with whether it was going to be a short or, or what it was going to be. Um, but that must have been in the early to mid-90s. And then I watched the script develop, Over that period of time, there was a time in 2011 where it looked like it might get made, and then all the way up to to 2018 when when HBO greenlit it. And it developed over that time. And there were times over that period where, you know, I would sit down and start thinking about some themes and record some themes, Um, and none of those ended up in the final movie. Um, But I've been thinking about the music for the film for, you know, probably at least 10 years by the time uh, by the time it actually got made, and by the time I actually got hired to make the music for it. That's fascinating. all the time not knowing whether I would get hired right. for it. You know, I mean, that's always that's always the risk you take when you start writing early on. You know, it's a very, uh, it's it, it, the, the, the business is imprecise and it fluctuates and, and it can be volatile. And it's very hard to predict whether you'll get hired or not, you know. But I was just interested in the story, so I started writing.
1: And, and, and that's unusual that it would take that long to get this made, isn't it, for television? Usually television seems like it's a lot faster than actually a full-featured film, or was that
0: I think the initial idea of it would be, was that it would be, the idea that Sasha settled on was that it would be a feature, and, and then the HBO situation allowed him to make, him, make it as a feature except for television.
1: And then, so once that got greenlit, um, then w- at what point did you get hired right away that, because you had been working on it? Uh, or were there other contenders?
0: The way the process worked was that uh, I knew that Sasha was keen for me to do it, uh, and there was a series of people who needed to. Uh, needed to okay that and be all right with that decision, and one of them was Evian Clean, who is who is the music supervisor, who's you know who's HBO's music supervisor for Game of Thrones, uh, amongst other things, and and the other key person I think you had to be okay with it was Lena Marto, who's the head of HBO Films, um, and once those two people, I met with Evian, uh, we had a very nice lunch, uh, and he is brilliant what he doesn't know about music to picture probably isn't worth knowing um, <sighs> and an amazing human being and, uh, and he and Len came on board and from that point onwards it, it became clear that I could be hired and I would be hired
1: so. Excellent, excellent. How long was the uh, the shoot of this film? And and again, did you did you can do you uh, watch the dailies and then you know try to compose for that, or do you wait till the film is edited, or are you composing the music all the way through the process of the filming of the movie?
0: You know. Uh the, a lot of the movie was filmed, I think, overseas. Some of it certainly in London, and uh, and I visited the set in London when I was I was actually there on a vacation. And I happened to visit the set for for an afternoon. Um, I can't remember how long the shoot was. I think it was somewhere between a month and two months, probably. Um, but I wasn't really involved in that side of things. Uh, I the the first real involvement I had with the film in it, as it as it came to be with HBO was when I saw a rough cut not even a rough cut an assembly which comes before you know any kind of cut uh, with the editor Carol Littleton um, j- toward you know I think just after they'd wrapped the shoot and the assembly is where you know they just string together some footage that tells the story um just as you know what have we got here um and that was the first time i got any sense of what this film would actually look like i always think that there's a you, you know there's this strange thing that happens between between a script and between when you start the edit you know that the you shoot the script but probably what you end up seeing when you start editing is is its own thing. And then you take what you've got and start working again to tell the story with the pieces that you've got. Um, and so that's really when my music work started.
1: And then how long after that, once you started, did it take to do uh, the full? You
0: know, I think I started probably a couple of weeks. I, th- I think my contract closed, uh, you know, around that time. And, and I got going a couple of weeks after that, probably. And from that point on, I was on board for the entirety of the edit, which, isn't, which is not actually usual. Usually composers don't get hired until they're down towards the end of the edit, until there's at least a rough cut, quite possibly a locked cut. Um, but the benefit of starting early is that it means that come the end of the process where there's a locked cut, a lot of the music throughout the film is already my music, instead of it being temp music, which I then have to replace.
1: Right, right, because I know a lot of editors work with the temp music when they're editing. Right. So I bet... And if I can... Go ahead.
0: If if, if I can work alongside an editor... um As the process is coming together and be aware of how they're trying to build as the scenes and, and how they're trying to build the tension and release and how they're trying to, the story is being told and especially alongside a director and, and understand how they want to tell the story and what the tone they're looking for is. If I can be part of that process, even as an observer early on, it really helps get past the, you know, that moment that there is a moment, I think, on a number of, that a lot of people experience in my business where there's a locked cut and it's all with temp music and now you have to reinvent the music from the ground up. And, you know, certainly working with Sasha, that hasn't been the case because I've been involved and been hired to get on the edit early.
1: And that's got to be difficult, too, to, after they've been using the temp music for you to go ahead and plug in what you had in yeah,
0: mind. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's 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 difficult to know because you want to listen to it and figure out what it's doing dramatically without being swayed by what it's doing musically, because you really want to, you know, the idea is that you come up with something unique and original and innovative and, and that is unique to this story. Um, and, and you know, the difficulty is, is that quite often the temp music works pretty well. Um but, but you want to take it another step and, and you want to make it original. So uh, I, think it, I think that can be a difficult part of the process, but it's one that certainly on this film I was largely spared.
1: That's good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, no,
0: it's it's it's, it's great. You yeah. know, it's it's really great. So yeah. so by the time there's a lot cut, there's a lot of my music in the film, and it becomes about developing the themes that are already there.
1: Well, in the, it's the music that uh, carries the emotional weight uh, of a film, I believe. You know, it 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 helps us. The music itself can help steer the mood and the emotions that we may be feeling as we're watching uh, the movie.
0: Uh, you, you won't get any argument from me about
1: that. <laughs> hey, no, I, you know, um, I, I, I live in Carmel, California, and so does Alan Silvestri. And I'm sure you know who he is. Sure, and yeah. uh, he just did the music. Well, he's done the mu- music for The Avengers, but he did The Avengers Endgame, too. And so um, I know he's been busy working on a lot of um, of films, obviously. Do you have... Uh, someone that you look up to, a composer that you admire that you try to emulate or grow and learn from?
0: I mean, not so much emulate musically, but there are people, there's a number of people in this field that I really admire. Uh, Somebody who I hugely admire at the moment is Lauren Balfe, um, who uh, I think he started out as as one of Hans Zimmer's right-hand men. Uh, and has now moved out. Uh, you know, is scoring a lot of movies and a lot of TV programs, uh, and he's doing. He's done a lot of British television recently. Uh, he did an amazing show called The Cry and an amazing show called Marcella, both of which I love. We watch a lot of British TV in my household because my mm-hmm. wife's English as well. Um, and uh, you know, I love his work. It's it's so contemporary. It's so innovative, and and, and yet beautifully you know, emotionally structured, uh, I'm I'm really an admirer. Then I'm a huge admirer of Ennio Morricone. Um, Oh, yes, yes, yes. The score for Once Upon a Time in America was the thing that really made me think, you know, that's what I'd like to be doing. Right. Um, And it's still one of my favorite film scores. Um, And then there's a guy called uh, Joe Hisaishi, who does all of uh, the Studio Ghibli films. Uh, oh. and Hayao Miyazaki's film so he did Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. Uh, and I really, he, it's, it's a slightly different thing because a lot of his music is influenced by Japanese harmony and tonality Um, but with a sort of with a traditional scoring ethos to it as well Uh, and I really love the collision of those two things uh, and the combination of them and and he's a very you know original voice and I also love those films because I'm a big kid at heart
1: (laughs) aren't we all aren't we all (laughs) if you're just tuning in you're listening to the Jam Price show all about movies and my guest today is award winning composer David Norland and we're talking about as new HBO film, my dinner with Hervé, and amongst others. Uh, so, when you are, you know, you're working on so many different types of films. Uh, do you wh- what is it that inspires you? Is it is it the script that inspires you? And you started working on my dinner with Hervé before you know ten years before you actually um, began composing for it. Uh, a, a, in the real sense um you know how did that change and evolve from what you first thought you were going to do to what you actually ended up doing for that particular movie
0: well it's interesting um i think that the script evolved over that time um and so the focus of the film to some degree evolved as well in its initial form it was more of a uh a mother-son story and the story of a boy who was abandoned by his mother. Um, and so what I wrote at that point back in 2011 or, or whatever it was, um, was more influenced by that, you know, and the pain of that and the, and the pathos and the heartbreak uh, and some sense of, of redemption from it. Whereas the film, the, the script had developed by the time it actually got made into more of a journey of two people who struggle to be honest and finally in their journey together learn to be honest with each other and thereby are redeemed. Um, and that's a different kind of story but no less powerful. And the music I actually wrote for the film um reflects more of that, but i 'm always trying to locate what the core emotions in the characters are, and that 's not always what music has to do. you know sometimes music has to produce tension, uh, sometimes music has to uh, simply reinforce a piece of action that 's happening on the screen, but a lot of the time, I think for me what 's helpful that music can do is telling us something about either the story or the character's journey or or what they're feeling that is not necessarily apparent from what's happening on the screen. Um, So if it's already happening on the screen, it's possible that if music does it as well, it's redundant. Not always, but that's the, uh, that's the the sort of the filter that I, that I initially have to run things through. But that actually also makes it sound like too intellectual a process. It's not for me, really. It's a gut process. Um, It's what am I responding to emotionally? What does that make me feel musically? How can I, you know, how does that come out of my hands on the piano? You know,
1: very interesting process. So each movie, do you approach it the same each time? Or? Or is it uniquely different?
0: Well, I certainly need to really immerse myself in the story, and immerse myself in the characters, um, and immerse myself in the atmosphere of it as well, because I think that's another, you know, really key part of of what music does is that in a very. Uh, unobtrusive way, it can set an atmosphere. It can, it can make things dark and bleak, or it can make things warm and friendly, or it can make things unsettling. Um, and, you know, all of those things are, you know, what's the visual tone of the film going to be? And that's actually a question that you can't really answer until you see, uh, you know, the first cut. Um, but quite often, you know, one of the things that I love for inspiration when I'm not writing for films, just when I'm writing music for myself, is I love going around art galleries um, and and looking at, you know, especially abstract or conceptual art and thinking how that translates to me in terms of what music would I make around that. Interesting. Um, and so for me, the journey with a film or with a TV program is the same. You know, I, I obviously want to be immersed in the story and I want to be immersed in the characters, but I also want to be immersed in just the feel of it.
1: Interesting. I love it. So you think musically all the time, it sounds like.
0: Uh, very much so. Very much so. You know, I, I'll give you an example. Outside the window here are uh, some some lovely bushes uh, outside, my, outside my house, uh, which have this blossom on them, which is a very lacy blossom. If you look at it, it actually looks like kind of sheets of lace hanging off this hanging off this bush and for that it makes me think of uh, you know those uh, those wind chimes uh, that you can buy from from chinese shops in Chinatown
1: uh-huh yes um,
0: and and i was once down there in the more early in the morning i think so in dim sum with my wife and there was a cart with a whole stack of those wind chimes hanging on it of all different sizes and shapes and the lady was pushing the cart across a courtyard with bumps in it and the sound that it made of all these amazing shimmers all happening together that's what this bush looks like to me <laughs> See,
1: <laughs> that is amazing and what a beautiful description david a really beautiful description <laughs> of all of you know of the flowers and the in the wind chimes it's just it's just beautiful what was you, what's been your biggest obstacle
0: Perfectionism, again, probably. Uh, okay. Um, you know, never happy with what I do. Uh, not never happy with it, but always, you know, knowing, knowing when to stop obsessing about making stuff better. Uh, that's, uh, that's an obstacle. Um, you know, sometimes the journey can be tricky uh, for all the things that go right. Uh, there are many things that don't go as you would have them go, and just keeping just keeping on, keeping on. You know, I think is the you just have to keep creating no matter what. That's the that's the bottom line I think because every, everything else is out of your control. You know, and there are so many moving parts in in filmmaking and in, in TV making, um, none of which you really control. What you are in control of is just your willingness to show up and keep creating.
1: Again, excellent. Uh, you know that you're constantly thinking in. A musical way. What are you working on next? Do you have what's your next project?
0: Well, uh, actually, I have a record uh, of some personal music, which is I'm just in the final stages of negotiating a deal for that to be released on a label. So that's exciting. Exciting. Now, um, is, is it
1: something that? Is it uh, what kind of music is it that you? I mean, it's published?
0: very score-like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably a little more abstract and a little more experimental than my score work, but it's still uh, largely based in piano and strings. Um, um, it probably if you had to give it a uh, like a like a bracket it falls into it would be neoclassical probably um but uh, so i'm excited about that and and uh, and then you know i know that uh you know various people i know have other projects in development you know it's always the, the wonder of you know will will i get hired you never know you know you always hope that you will and so in the meantime you just keep creating
1: yeah that's the um issue with this industry you know it's uh, you know you never know if you're going to get hired again you're hope you are going to get hired again and i'm Absolutely. sure you Absolutely. will because you're very very talented so we're going to okay. end thank you david for so much for being on the show we're going to end the show with a cut from my dinner with herve and it's called afraid of someone like me have been listening to the jam price show and my guest today has been award-winning composer david norland go to the jam price show on facebook to learn more about upcoming shows and while you're there like my page but also write a comment or two also to listen uh, to the jam price show movie minute reviews and to listen to archive shows that you may have missed go to the jam and also if you'd like to listen to the podcast go to the iheart radio podcast channel
0: on PowerTalk AM 1460 and FM 101.1 streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show.
1: The Ozio Theater in downtown Monterey is now open every day, showing independent and foreign films. The Ozio Theater has new concession offerings, including beer, wine, hard cider, and their homemade Lush Slush. You can now schedule private event screenings for community charity events, birthdays, anniversaries, or just a fun gathering of friends. For more information, visit the Ozio Theater online at oziotheater.com.